0: Have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, alright? This is in the New Testament, the right half of your book. Alright, it's right after the Gospels. That's the four books that talk about the life and ministry of Jesus. And Acts basically fills in what happens after Jesus. Alright? So if, you are, if you're new with us, we've been going through the book of Acts since Easter. Because when we were at Easter, we talked about how when Jesus came, when he died, when he rose again, it changed everything. Now we say that, but, but do we actually live that? And so we were like, well, apparently this new way of living, this new world, was ushered in with Jesus. So maybe we should look and see if that actually worked out or not. What happened after that? So we've been going through the book of Acts. Uh, it's been called the not-so-new way. And our hope is that we can see ourselves in this story and how we are still part of this story. We are still called to be carrying on many things that are started right here in Scripture. All right, so let's prepare ourselves. Let's be ready for what God wants to do in each one of us today. Uh, What He wants to do in you isn't the same thing that He wants to do in the person next to you, necessarily. I think that God has something uh, for every person here. All right, so we have a responsibility just to slow down and to listen and to discern. What is it that God is speaking to you today? All right. so if you would, if you're willing, if you're able, uh, let's stand across the room. We are going to read our passage. We are in Acts chapter 9, starting right at the beginning. I'll be reading out of the New Living. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now real quickly, meanwhile, what that means is we had seen Paul. Paul was there when Stephen was killed. And then we took a chapter and we focused on Philip and some things that happened. So this is coming back and saying, Meanwhile, that grumpy guy is still mad about Christians. All right, He's eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on on this mission a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. God, I just pray this morning, Lord, maybe we've heard this scripture before. Maybe it's the first time. God, I pray that we would look at this with, with new eyes, Lord, that we'd be looking for something uh, from you today. God, that we wouldn't think just because we've read this before, that we've got it all figured out. And, and Lord, we, just, we want you to speak to us today. Jesus, we ask that uh, in your name. Amen. Alright, you can have a seat. Uh, this passage that we read, uh, actually I was planning on reading more of it and focusing on the second half. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to slow down. Let's just, let's just look at Saul today. Next week we're going to look at one of my favorite passages, Ananias. Uh, but this passage is highlighting what we often call the conversion of Saul. Uh, and this is important because Saul, who is later referred to as Paul, the Apostle Paul, goes on to write two-thirds of our New Testament. Alright, he's a central figure, he is massive, uh, and, and in a way, I'm going to refer to it this way, this is his origin story, okay? Right, my kids absolutely love superheroes. Anybody into superheroes, Marvel, all that? I, there's like so many of them now. If you aren't, don't even bother. Alright, you have like 50 movies you have to watch, and like 10 shows you have to binge, and like it's just not worth it, okay? But, in a superhero movie, there's always an origin story, like how did they become the way that they are? All right, like all these different things, like in, in every good one. How did they become where they are? Why are they doing what they are doing? Right? Like they were bit by a spider or they were created into a super soldier, like former spy, rich billionaire whose parents were killed. You know, like I that, all the origin stories, they're all over the place. All right, uh, then some injustice happens to the world or to them. You know, his uncle was killed, World War II, city is filled with crime, like these things. Uh, and now they step up and they fight. They fight crime and they fight bad guys, all right? Now, usually the bad guys actually have better origin stories, I feel like, uh, even than that. Uh, but origin stories are important to understand, all right? They're important to know what someone went through and what made them the way they are. How many of you guys know that every single one of us, in a way, we, we have our own origin stories? Like, you're here today and you have gone through things that have made you the way that you are. That, that's just, it's, it's what life is, all right? Well, for us to better understand Paul and the New Testament, we should understand some of his background. Paul's one of the main stories that we're going to follow the rest of the book of Acts. We're going to continue to see him. And he is the author of most of the New Testament, like we said, following the book of Acts. So I think uh, oftentimes we think of Paul Paul or Saul in this spot uh, as like the bad guy turned good guy. Right? But in a way, that's not really the case. Firstly, because... What Emily and I always tell our kids is this. There are not bad guys and good guys. Okay, and and listen, for some of you guys, this is golden, and you need to know this. (laughs) There are not bad guys and and good guys. There are not bad people and good people. There are people and there are decisions. Right? And so that's just kind of what life is here. Secondly, with Saul, uh, Saul was a guy that was deeply passionate about God and trying to do God's will. Uh, He was just missing a big piece of the puzzle. How many of us have ever been missing a big piece of the puzzle? Absolutely. I may use Paul and Saul interchangeably here. All right. Uh, He went by Saul while working with the Pharisees. He went by Paul, kind of following his experience with Christ. Uh, Some of that's simply because the people he was working with changed. All right. And and so Paul is more of his Greek name when he's working with Greek people. All right. So Saul's background Saul was a, a, a diaspora Jew. Here's what that means. During the Babylonian exile, when, when Israel was taken over by countries, all the Jewish people were taken away, and they were in exile, all kind of in different lands. Well, after that, a lot of them came back, but many of them didn't, and many of them went to new lands, new areas, and that's where they lived, and these were, they were called Diaspora Jews, which basically meant that they were dispersed all over the area. All right, so Paul is one of these, all right, uh, and, and he is from somewhere else, that, and so this would be kind of Saul's family. He's from Tarsus, a large city, probably about half a million people. All right, now when you look at this, like if you look down here, you can see, okay, there's Israel, there's Jerusalem, there's Damascus, kind of where we're going. Tarsus, you can see way up at the top there. So Saul's not from the area. All right, Tarsus had, was said to surpass both Athens and Alexandria kind of as the seat of learning, all right, particularly for philosophy and rhetoric and poetry. All right, so this is, this is Paul's background, Saul's background. Uh, we aren't positive on his age because lots of times it just says young man, old man, and how many of you guys know that's relative? All right, some of you are going to be mad at me for this, but uh, I turned 30 and, and things just, I don't know, I can't do what I used to do. Some of you guys are just like, oh, shut up. I am so beyond that, and you have no idea what's in store for you, all right? But they just call him young man, old man, different things. But the best of what we can tell, uh, Saul is probably a couple years younger than Jesus, Uh, maybe up to like 10 years younger, kind of based on on what's going on here. All right, now, I, I wanted to put a picture up of Saul uh, like, during this, and I'm like, oh, you know, that's, it kind of helps us get there, but how many of you guys know we are so bad at trying to recreate pictures, and we just make them look like us and things, so I want you to appreciate this, as I was looking for a picture of Paul, here's the first one, okay, and I like to call this, this is soap opera Paul, like, he's just this beautiful man, manicured beard, like, just got his hair cut, and he, he's just, yeah, all right, and I'm like, that might be distracting for some of the people in the room, all right, well, then I found another picture that might be more distracting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, take your pick. Do you want soap opera, Saul, or do you want, like, angry dwarf from Lord of the Rings, Saul? I don't really know what's going on in these pictures, and there's a million in between there, you know. And so, okay, I find these distracting. We're not going to have any picture. Okay, that's easier for us. So we'll get rid of those. All right, uh, he was said to be a Roman citizen by birth. Tarsus was controlled by Rome. It was super important to them due to its location. Uh, Saul would have grown up learning a craft like tent making or leather, uh, like he would have been a leather worker. He would have grown up with great understanding of Greek, uh, knew a fair amount uh, about rhetoric and philosophy. He's actually quoted different uh, philosophical things at different points in the Bible where they can see, like, oh, yeah, he knew what he was talking about. That's from this philosopher of that time. Uh, He had a devout Jewish family, was very proud of his heritage. Uh, he knew the Hebrew scriptures intimately, as well as the Septuagint. That would be the Greek translation of the Old Testament. All right, he would have known both of those. Uh, probably in his teens, he left Tarsus and would have studied in Jerusalem in the Pharisaic tradition. And he aligns himself with the more politically militant and religiously zealous Shemate Wing. Okay, there's two main leaders that time in the Jewish time, and he would have aligned himself with the side that was a little bit more aggressive. All right? Uh, And what that means is, you know, just like today, you know, kind of that two-party system thing, like, he kind of picked where he was, and and he was a part of a very aggressive, legalistic, strict group. All right, now understand this. When we read through the Old Testament, uh, you cannot miss the obvious pattern that when people begin to move away from God's laws, it brought ruin. Not just on them, but on God's people. All right, you do not have to read very far in the Old Testament. Like, you can just open it and put your finger in there, and the Israelites are probably screwing up. Like, that's just how the Old Testament goes. And and every time this would happen, like, they move away from God, Uh, it had disastrous results for them. Okay? Uh, And this is why we have, like, the entire exile. And when people went rogue and kind of did their own thing, when they moved away from what God commanded them to do, really bad results followed. Uh, and there are very specific stories of people who are seen as godly heroes because de- they were dealing very brutally with the people that were disobeying God, like the Israelite people. All right, uh, In Numbers 25, you have Israelite men who have started to sleep with Moabite women, a different country, different group. Uh, this led to these men even worshipping the Moabite gods. All right, uh, So obviously drawing them away from God. God was incredibly angry about this, and he said, "Uh, you need to kill everyone who's done this. And I think sometimes we have a hard time reconciling some of these things. Uh, And and Moses is passing this on to all the people. Moses comes out, the Israelites are there, and he's like, you have screwed up massively. And everyone's like crying, and they're sad. They're like, we've screwed up, we're sorry, how do we fix this, what do we do? And you can just picture like this exchange, almost like we're standing here. And then as this is happening, an Israelite guy comes walking into camp, holding hands with a Moabite woman, headed to his tent. Right? Like, it's almost like a comical scene in a way, like the way it's portrayed in the Bible where it's like, everyone's here like, oh, this is so bad. What do we do? How do we fix this? And as they're doing that, this is happening right there. And and there's a guy in Scripture here uh, that is happening here, and and his name is Phineas. And he he sees this happening, this Israelite man, this Moabite woman, and he gets up and he grabs a spear and he runs over to the tent and, and he he kills them both. And Phineas is thought of as this, like, hero of this, like, amazing, like, it's all about, like, this, this purity and righteousness and holiness of God's people, and he was so zealous about this that he went and did this. And I'm telling you this now, like, Phineas would have been a hero of Paul, like, he would have had posters of him, like, on his wall as a kid. Because that's the type of person he was. He's like, I want God's people to be holy. Alright? And, and so this is, the, we have other stories of this happening as well. The entire uh, um, uh, Maccabean revolt is, like, based around this as well. And then things that happened in there. This idea of, like, God's people need to be holy. And we can sit there and we can say, that that's a good goal. But, you can see that things are just kind of, they're interesting how it plays out here. All right. Now, here's the thing. You actually, you could think differently among God's people. That didn't mean like everyone thought the exact same thing, and if you didn't, you were going to be killed. Right? Like, we have examples of that when we have uh, Jesus, and he's talking with Pharisees, he's talking with uh, Essenes, he's talking with all different groups. They believe differently. You have John the Baptist. He believes a little bit differently. But... The distinction here is they were not seen as leading God's people away from God. Anytime someone was leading God's people away from God, it brought a new level of zeal that God's people started to push back against that. Okay, so we can kind of see the heart behind this. Maybe there's a good thing there. Maybe they're going too far. All right. God's kingdom to the Pharisees was going to show up and be brought By them keeping the law in every single possible way. That's what they believed. That was going to result in God's kingdom coming. So when Jesus came, he made some massive waves. You can see why they wanted him dead. Right? Because Jesus was not just seen as a better teacher or gathering bigger crowds than theirs. Like there's probably some jealousy. But he is seen as actually leading God's people away from God by the Pharisees. So this leads to his death. And then we think back to Stephen. We just looked at his story a few weeks ago. Stephen gets up and he starts talking and giving the history. And the Pharisees are like, yep, we're with you. Yep, yep, we agree. Okay, all this about Moses. Yep, keep going. All of a sudden he gets to a spot, brings up Jesus in this new way, and they freak out and they kill him. Because Stephen was seen in this moment as leading God's people away from God. And Saul approves of this because Stephen, again, he's leading them astray. So Saul's running around doing God's work. He is keeping the people holy. He is completely devoted to God and God's ways. And the teachers above him agree with him. They not just condone his actions, but they believe in what he's doing, giving him the tools and the resources he needs to accomplish this. Their focus is keeping God's people holy, set apart, pure. And they will do whatever it takes to make that happen. Because God's kingdom and his Messiah are going to come through the the result of Israel's holiness. Do we understand that? Do we understand a little bit more of why they're coming from where they are? Why they're upset with Jesus? Like it actually, when you can put yourself in their shoes, it makes sense why they would be aggressive in this way. So Paul was taught and modeled that violence is okay if it means keeping God's people holy and pure. Alright, so we're tracking with this, I hope. Uh, Saul, he had a bright future ahead of him. He, he would have been uh, someone who would be remembered. He would, he would have been a great rabbi. He probably would have sat on the Sanhedrin, which is like the highest court of the Pharisees. Like it was an honor to sit there. Like he, he, that was his future. That's where he was going. Alright, and he had been training and studying for his whole life. And he was so convinced that he was doing exactly what God wanted, that he was right in God's will. So, you can see, Saul, Saul, in a way, Saul was the good guy, not the bad guy of the story. When you have their understanding of this, this makes complete sense. And he is riding down the road with his group of guys, and, and he's got the papers in hand that he needs to bring people back to Jerusalem and punish them. That way, he can keep God's people holy. And pure and undefiled and moving towards Him, and as He's thinking about His job and His purpose, and He's getting fired up about this and going over this, all of a sudden a bright light shines and a voice begins to speak. All right, uh, and, and most likely because of Paul's background, in this moment he's not like confused. He thinks that this is this is probably God speaking to him. Because think of all the things in the Old Testament that he would have known these scriptures very well. Of messengers coming to people. And for a Pharisee, they would have hoped that they would be seen as like important enough that God would send a messenger to them. This is like his dreams coming true in this moment. All right, there's a whole piece I cut out of here. There was a way that they meditated that this would have made complete sense to him, being like, God is appearing to me. It's because I am so good. I am so holy. I am keeping his people holy. I am doing his will. And he's like, yes, finally, this moment, God is here, this bright light. Who are you, Lord? And imagine his surprise when the voice says back, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. The person that he thought was the biggest enemy of all of this like, what would happen? Like, nah, I, I didn't hear you. Okay, can you, can you say that again? I think I misheard. Like, this, this is what happens. The chief person who we thought was leading God's people astray is somehow actually the person sitting on the throne. He is God again in an origin story there's normally some point where the character finds out some secret information everything begins crumbling down around them and they're like oh man I, I thought that we could do this and now we can't and but I'm gonna this is actually kind of the opposite all right I don't think in this moment the Paul's world was crumbling down around him I actually think that what's happening here is he has a new filter to view things and, and everything is starting to make sense everything's coming together like in this moment he's like If Jesus really is who's speaking to me, if Jesus really is God, if Jesus was the Messiah, it started to make sense of all sorts of different things. Imagine the rest of his ride to Damascus. All right, we aren't really sure where this happened in his ride, but it's a long journey. It's a long journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. And I think the rest of the ride, he must have been sitting there thinking through every piece of scripture, every prophecy, everything about God's kingdom and his Messiah. And now he is thinking about all of that through the light of of Jesus and his teachings. The world became new to him. Things that once seemed unknown now make sense. We call this Paul's conversion, but that's misleading. Paul or Saul didn't really convert from Judaism to Christianity. Uh, he didn't leave one thing for another. Instead, he began to understand who God really was. This was a, a, co- this was a continuation of it. This was the next step. He didn't abandon one thing. And, and I don't think that we necessarily either are supposed to completely abandon everything that's happened to us prior to Jesus entering our life. Like now that, that may sound weird. Let me explain this. okay? I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. Especially, that might sound weird when Paul's the one who says, okay, forgetting what lies behind, pressing towards what lies ahead, all these things. all right. But, but what I'm talking about is making sense of our past through the realization that God has been drawing us to him. Paul had to have had this done the rest of his ride. He was processing, thinking through, like, was his entire previous life a waste? All the time that he spent becoming the best Pharisee that he could, All the training as a child, leaving home, going somewhere else, getting taught, all these things, was that all a waste? Was that all for nothing? And what we know is this, because of what Paul does the rest of his life, that was not a waste, because he was uniquely set up to reach people that no one else could have. We love Peter, we love John, we love James, we love these like simple fishermen who people are like, they've been with God. But there is something about having the the background, the pedigree that Paul has that brings a different level for him to be able to speak to certain groups. And I think Jesus just makes sense of all of that. He can look back at his life through this lens now. Everything that seemed so random previously now made sense in light of what God was preparing him for. It wasn't a waste. I think that God has placed things in your life, specifically, in your past, so that you are ready to uniquely reach the call that God is uniquely putting on you. Oftentimes we look at other people and we say, why don't I have their journey? Why don't I have their past? Why don't I have all the the training and the things that they have? Because you're not called to reach the people they are. You're called to reach someone different. And you have what you have for a reason. So I think there are a few things for us today. First off, some of us may have never looked at parts of our life through the lens of what God wants to do through you. I think it's important that we take time and we reflect on our experiences and ask God to help us try and make sense of life through the lens of God, drawing us to Him and preparing us for the works that He has in store for us. All right, in Paul's letter... This guy right here. In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he says this. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This right here. I think this right here is our evidence that Paul, he sees this. He gets this. His life was not wasted. His past was not a mistake. It was preparing him for the works that God had for him in the future. If you don't know what he has planned, maybe go back and reflect on parts of your life. I know there are people in the room right now, you're like, I, I don't really know. I, like, I've just kind of been going through life. I don't know what's next. I don't know what, what God wants me to be doing. And we, we absolutely should be praying about that. God can lead us, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we don't always hear God. Sometimes God maybe purposefully is not actually giving you the easy answer. I think there are times to look back on your life and see what has happened in your life. To bring you forward. The Second thing I think that we need to start to wrestle with today is this. How do we live our lives as Paul and not as Saul? All right, obviously it's the same person. I'm using that wording to point to the change that happened in him. Saul and Paul had a lot of similarities. You might think this is easy. I just won't arrest and kill Christians. All right, done. I'm not Saul. (laughs) Right? But here's the thing. If you love God, if you are devoted to him, if you want to do everything you can to follow him, you want to grow, you want to see his promises fulfilled, if all of that describes you, you might still be walking still in the footsteps of Saul because all of that described him. That should cause us to pause. Apparently that isn't enough. Why not? See the religious leaders they had hyper focused on the wrong parts of God's plan. And that same thing still happens today. All right, I said this earlier. Saul was the good guy, not the bad guy of the story. Saul was doing everything he could to follow God. So he should be fine, right? Except for the fact that if you remember God's presence had basically left the Israelites after the exile. When they came back, they rebuilt the temple, and God's presence does not, we don't see it enter the temple the same way. So the Israelite people, they, they seem to be moving forward, void of God's presence, or at least not in the same way at minimum. And they are trying to do what they can do best, but we drift. We naturally drift. We think we're moving in the right direction, but our natural selfish desires, our natural pull brings us, and initially you might just be a little bit off. You might be a little bit off, but you go another mile down the road with that little bit off, and you are going to be way apart. And that's what seems to have been happening with the Israelites. So when Jesus comes on the scene and tries to bring them back to the heart of God, they had drifted so far that they did not even recognize the heart of God. They were so far from him that when presented with the heart of God, it wasn't just slightly different teaching that would be tolerated. Like the Pharisees, the Essenes, John the Baptist, all these people. No, it was they were so far from the heart of God that it seemed to be leading God's people astray. And Saul, in his zeal to follow God, was actually attacking the kingdom of God. There are some areas of Christianity where this has happened today. Alright, people have, have become hyper-focused, overly focused on one area and they ignore other areas. Now, I'm going to be honest here. I, I primarily, I blame politics. Alright, and listen, I want you to pay attention here. This could be one of the most important things we talk about in this series. I'm about to describe, where some of us in this room, where you're at. Some people think they're following Jesus, that they are living for God, that they are pursuing what they think the kingdom of God should look like. They are zealous, they are passionate, but about the wrong things, or at least in the wrong way. When the church began to get into bed with politics, it started us on the most dangerous path that we have ever been on as the body of Christ. I don't say that lightly. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe this. When we don't know what we should be doing to be passionate about God, when God's presence is void from our lives at different times and different seasons, what do we do? We try and find, what should I be focused on? What should I be doing? And if we have have meshed politics and God together, do you want to know what we do? We assume that other things in that political plan must be part of God's plan. So we start to get passionate and overly zealous about those things. This is the same thing that happened to the Pharisees. When you're void of God's presence, you start to take your own direction. And I believe this is happening. Then we begin to read scripture through the lens of that political party. All right? And we're like, well, my party believes this, and I see that in the Bible. So these other things must be in the Bible. And we start to actually even see those things in the Bible the way that we read it. Because we are reading it through the filter of our politics, We do not see our politics through the filter of Jesus. We see Jesus through the filter of our politics. And that is dangerous. That is dangerous. Paul's hero probably was not Boaz from the Old Testament. The man who brought in a poor immigrant woman who was Moabite, by the way. Who needed to depend on welfare from others and cared for her? He probably instead idolized Phineas, who stabbed two people, one of them a Moabite woman, with a spear because they weren't holy enough. These stories—you have a Moabite woman in each one. One who apparently is the bad guy ran through with a spear, and a Moabite woman who needs rescuing in the other. And you know all that boring genealogy stuff that we skip over in the Bible and we get to it and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. So-and-so. I'm like, I don't even know what begat means. All right? Like, and it's just page after page of these things. When you look at the genealogy of Jesus, Phineas is not in there. But Ruth, the poor Moabite woman, is. Moments like that, when Paul began to actually dig into who his Messiah was and he saw things like that, I guarantee that blew his mind. I was chasing the wrong thing. I was following the wrong people. I made a mistake in what the kingdom of God actually was. Today we have Christians who are so quick to get angry and be mobilized, and become passionate, and zealous, and aggressive, and at times even militant, because they think they are defending the holiness that we are called to. They are defending that against the culture that is around us. But let me say this, if at any point your zeal leads you to a form of Christianity where you are attacking other people, other image bearers of God, You need to stop and reassess if you are following in the footsteps of Paul or Saul. When you become passionate and zealous, what is the driving force behind it? That's the question that I want us to be able to answer today. Think about that. Think about the things in in life that really get you going and you get talking about and your blood starts to boil and you're excited about it. Think about those things for a moment. What's the driving force behind that? Is it because you've picked up the Word of God and you saw something that's close to God's heart and you're like, that's what I'm passionate about? Or is it because of talk radio? Because of something that our friends were talking about at a coffee get-together? Is it because of what we heard on the news? How often is the driving force behind our passion not the kingdom of God? And I see this all over the place. I and part of this at times. We all are. So we need to reassess, what is it that you are passionate about in life? What is driving you? And why is that the case? Do you know that both Donald Trump and Joe Biden are made in the image of God? I mean, the obvious answer is yes. But some of you, you probably paused a little bit more. If you demonize one of those people, you are wrong. I'm telling you that right now, you are wrong. There are not bad people and good people, just people who make choices. When you put someone as a bad guy or you demonize them, you no longer can love them, you no longer can show them mercy, you no longer can pray for them, and you no longer can want what's best for them. But that's how we are called to interact with image bearers. And you might be sitting there saying, oh, but but what about all the awful things in the world? All the immoral things happening around us? We need to fight for God. All right, let me ask you some questions. Do you think anything going on in the world right now surprises God? Do you think that whether his kingdom advances is based on us winning a war with our culture? We've said this, maybe you haven't been here for the past weeks of Acts. The biggest theme in Acts is this. God's kingdom will advance. Regardless of what else happens, his kingdom will advance. As you read through the book of Acts, you'll see time and time again things that should have derailed it, but instead it moved forward. And sometimes it even pushed it forward further. People moved out further into the Great Commission as they were called to do because Stephen was murdered. It didn't stop anything. It kept moving forward. Do you see in the life of Jesus, someone who attacks those who are wrong and far off from God? No, we actually see the only people he attacks are the supposed religious leaders who no longer even understand the heart of God. Some people in the room, you need to have a Damascus Road experience. You do. You need to have a Damascus Road experience. I love Drea. She's great. Some of us need to be convicted by the fact that Jesus said, let the children come to me. Not everyone be quiet so I can perfectly listen. I think some of us need to have a Damascus Road experience. We do. We think we're on the path that we're supposed to be on. We think that we're passionate about the right things, moving in the right direction. And we need Jesus to come and step right in front of us, shine so bright that we get blinded, and say, hey, you're way off base. I'm not necessarily even talking to people that right now you feel like maybe you're far from God. You know, the people in the room that you're like, I, I, I got drugged here by somebody else. I am talking to those of us that have been involved in church for years and years and years. I'm talking to all of us. Like, where where are we at in this? Here's the thing. When we look at the story of Jesus flipping tables in the temple, and it's said to be righteous anger, we want to think that as a Christian, every time I get angry, it must be righteous anger. How many of you guys have ever said, I'm angry, but it's righteous anger? is it? Is it? Is it? I, you know, for me, like, I'll tell you this. Anger has never, never served me well. I will tell you this. My emotions, but especially anger, have never served me. I have always served them. I think God can use our emotions. I think they're there for good. I don't think that's the human default. I think most of us Our emotions control us. It's not the opposite. I don't think we understand what it means to have righteous anger. I think we are way too quick to throw that phrase around. I think instead we just want to have an excuse to let our emotions control us. All right, let's stand as we finish. We need to have this moment this morning. I want you to stop and think about what it is that you get overly passionate about. I think the answer for far too many of us is politics. And we like to think that our own politics and what God wants to do are one and the same. All right, they aren't. His kingdom isn't of this world. His kingdom is above this world. I guarantee his kingdom does not prescribe to either one of our obviously flawed political parties. As I've heard many pastors that are smarter than me say, Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. All right? I I love that line. I like that Mike likes that line. It, it is one of the best lines I've ever heard. And I have to remind myself of that all the time. I didn't come up with that. I'm not smart enough. He came to take over. I remember when Jesus came. There there were two parties in that. As you read through that, when you I think back to reading these scriptures, like there were two parties. And they probably both, if the Messiah would have came, would have been like, okay, which party are you gonna be part of? You gonna be part of theirs, part of ours? Which one got it more right? The reality is we don't really even realize that there was like these two different warring parties within the early Jews because Jesus obviously didn't care. It's actually not spelled out for us in Scripture. We see it in other historical texts. That should tell us something right there. You look at Jesus' followers. He had a tax collector and a zealot. If you don't know the background there, zealots killed tax collectors. Because tax collectors worked for Rome. Jesus didn't care about that. He's like, I'm bringing both of you with me but you got to leave your kingdoms where they are. We also don't ever see fights between his disciples having to do with this type of belief. You better believe that what that means is those 12 disciples, they were called and they obeyed to lay down their kingdom and say, your kingdom is what I want. Your kingdom's obviously better than our flawed kingdom. I'm following you. Some of us need to have this wake-up call. I want us just to take some moments here. I'm slowing down because I believe that right now God is speaking to people in this room. And when I say that, spe- realize this, speaking might look different to a lot of different people. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have some audible voice coming through the clouds, real deep voice. You know, That's, that's not what I'm saying. I think sometimes God will just draw something to your mind that naturally maybe wouldn't have been there. God's reminding people of moments where maybe you've screwed up and you, you've basically been screaming at an image bearer of God, at another person. And yes, that includes if you're screaming at them through a computer screen. We need to figure this out. I want to give us this moment to just surrender like Saul did. I want us to completely rethink some of our passions in life. I think Jesus makes sense of our past. When I had that moment at camp, when I felt called into ministry, I started to stop and think about my past, even just the past couple years before that. I had spent time coaching different sports teams of kids. I spent time at uh, at camps at Lake Geneva. I spent times at an FCA camp counseling there. I spent time, like, basically, my entire last two years, I've been, like, instructing younger kids in some way, shape, or form. I thought that was just a good summer job. Then all of a sudden, I start to realize that was not a mistake. God had put those things in my past to prepare me for my future. Maybe you need to take some time and reflect. What has God done in your life? What, what are things you don't even realize God did that are in your life? That are shaping you for the unique call that he has on you? All right, I think those are the two ways, the two main ways. God might be speaking to you completely different today. Those are the two main ways that I think that we need to be uh, pressing in and, and, and responding. Is God, help me make sense? Of my life, and maybe you don't know where you're going. You need to look at your past. Maybe you need to. Maybe you do know where you're going. Maybe you are on the right track. And I'd actually encourage you go back and look at your past and see the faithfulness of God. See all the things in your past that have led you and prepared you for where you are now. Because we overlook those things. And Jesus, please come and just blind us, interrupt us point where we are wrong. God, if there is if there is something in my life, Lord, in each one of our lives, that is drawing me away from you, Lord, that really actually is leading me astray, I don't want to chase any other kingdom but yours. God, I pray that, uh, that your conviction, Lord, conviction is a good thing. It's not guilt. It's different from guilt. Lord, that your conviction would just be so present in my life in those areas. God, I pray that you give me opportunities this week to live this out differently. God, give me a heart for people that I thought were bad guys. Change my prayer life. Challenge me in this, Jesus. I give you full permission for that. You don't need it. You don't need my permission. But I want this in my life. I know I'm not the only one, God. I know there are other people in this room that are are saying something similar right now as they're spending this moment with you. I just want to say this. If this is all new for you, and you want to figure some of this out, you're like, you know what, I think there's more to this life than what I've been doing. I think I have been living for my kingdom and not his. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna make you step out of your seat or anything like that. On that card that was in the in the chairs, there's a box you can just check. What that does is it allows us just to contact you this week and say, hey, let's grab coffee, let's grab lunch. How can we help you? How can we help you walk forward in this? How can we help you move forward towards what God has for you? So you can check that box. You can drop it in the, the wooden box by the doors as you leave today. Bless well, let's just do this. Let's just close in prayer together here. God, we need you. Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We want your kingdom. God, if there's anything that we have attached to your kingdom that isn't supposed to be there. God, that you would just cut that off, that you would point that out to us. Lord, that we would know that that our our life just needs to be moving straight towards you. Nothing else. Help us to stand strong the next time these things that that, uh, bring up zeal and passion in us, but maybe they aren't good zeal and passion. Maybe they aren't of you. Help us to be strong the next time that happens just to, to to bring that down and bring you up. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Go with us as we scatter today. Amen.